With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Finally, a global program specifically for wealthy, philanthropic women who are humble, gracious leaders. Sylvia Global's host, Gil Sylvia, invites you to join her in these conversations with first ladies of nations, households, business, and communities. Trustworthy, live conversations with women from around the globe provides a place for your voice to connect with women of integrity, passion, and purpose. Now, here's your host, Gail Sylvia. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here with me. I am so excited today. I have a very special lady. Her life is filled with so much richness, and she gives so much of herself away um, to help others. And her name is Annette Ross. Annette, thank you for being here today. Gail, it is such a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for having me. You know, we just finished the, uh, the last two hours of some pretty incredible global conversations, you know, with women from uh, World Pulse, affiliated with World Pulse, you know, citizen journalists who speak on behalf of women in their own voice using digital, technolo- digital technology. What, wasn't that pretty engaging? Yes, it was absolutely fascinating conversation. I feel I learned a a great deal. I was really inspired by these women who are showing so much courage. They're out there on the forefront doing the grassroots work, helping other women, having conversations, writing about it, getting ideas. Wasn't that about um, the malnutrition and and then um, how Stella was able to connect about that one tree they can have to help people be malnourished, to help people be nourished who are malnourished? And for the nourished, for the the information to come yes. from the Congo to help save women in India using this type of a media platform, um, Hummingbird and Stella Nima were recently all three on a, a tour here in the United States affiliated with World Pulse, and we'll look forward to having them back. But this segment is about you, Annette Ross, absolutely <laughs> amazing lady. You know, tell us a little bit about your background, because I think our listeners will be both inspired and equally well-informed. Oh, my goodness. Where would you uh, – well, I guess, I guess I'll guess i just Start make it sort of simple as that. Yeah. Start with I your childhood. <laughs> I grew up in the south side of Chicago. I was um, adopted from Catholic Charities. I was an orphan there for almost two years, and my parents – who had a big family, had five of their own children, then adopted four children. So, you know, the South Side was a very changing area, continues to be a very changing and tough area. So I I think I saw a lot growing up. Um, My parents were also foster parents. And we also, once they were done adopting children, they were still taking in a few children every month who were in emergency situations. So I think at a very young age, I was exposed to a lot of different things in life. And although that sounds um, not so idyllic, I mean, and it, I do, it wasn't always, it did, it did teach me a lot. I think it taught me a lot about compassion, and I still felt in very many ways. I had a lovely childhood. It was very simple. My parents loved each other, and so there were some things that were very old-fashioned, 
and wonderful about growing up on the south side of Chicago. Um, but I was exposed. I was exposed to a lot of things. And um, then I grew up. I found my biological mother. I went to Sarah Lawrence. I you know, got educated. I had a dream of going to divinity school. And a lot of no one really in my family went to college. And that was my big dream was to go to college. And I was really excited to um, to achieve that dream, got great grades, was ready to take the plunge to divinity school, got accepted to a Ivy League school, which was another big dream for me as I was a little girl. I thought I wanted to go to Georgetown. I had all these fantasies, and I thought that will never happen, but it actually finally happened. And then I was un- um, married at the time when I applied for divinity school. And then I was giving birth to my second daughter, and I had a spinal cord injury, and that was a life-changing um, a situation for me. I mean, I guess I got divinity school in a different sort of way. <laughs> so I sort of, I sort of then um, had a big shift in in our life in terms of our priorities and what we were doing. And I had, I was a mother of two, you know, in a wheelchair, uh, learning about it, and learning in in a new way, a new world of accessibility and. Extreme frustration for me because you're used to running around and you can't imagine how in one second all of a sudden you have more problems and you can shake a stick at, as my dad likes to say. Um, and that was a long, that was really a very, very long journey for me, honestly, Gail, um, because I'm very, I was always a very religious person, just sort of by nature, and I don't think that was something I had to work at. I always believed I had a very deep faith. And once I was hurt and in the hospital and not walking and I had a two-year-old and an infant, I really went into a pretty dark place for a long time. And the main thing that got me out of that, I have to say, was the love of my husband more than any one thing. I sort of thought that I would have some godly experience of, I don't know, I used to wait, like I used to be laying in my hospital bed thinking that God was going to sort of communicate with me through in some way that it was going to be okay or that something would happen. or And the line from the Bible where Paul says, my grace is sufficient for me, for you, kept on coming into my mind. And I thought, oh, I don't think I'm going to be hearing from the big guy anytime too soon. And I had to wait, I had to wait that out. And it was really um, the way my husband stood by my side, loved me, never looked at me for one second differently, while he was literally changing my diapers and my daughter's diapers, and our world was thrust into chaos because at the time of my injury, I really didn't have anything going for me from the waist down. So that includes going to the bathroom and, you know, I had no sensation. I was just a very, um, I was uh, I was in a very dark place. And plus I had two little kids to take care of. So I was, and I was emotionally a mess because I had just given birth. So um, that was really the biggest learning experience of my life, having that. Having that, And um, I really probably cannot say enough about where that led me with God. That journey took a long time. I can only say that if you were a priest or a rabbi or any person of the cloth, you would not have wanted to run into me in those first couple of years because I was basically at their feet saying, can you explain this to me? I mean, the mystery of my suffering and why God didn't just release me just was um, on my mind at all times. And even though I know the Bible stories and had met so many people when I was a little girl that had had real struggles, I really thought 
that some miracle was going to happen that would get me to walk again. And this all would have been a learning experience, but it wasn't going to be something that I was going to have to contend with on a daily basis, maybe for the rest of my life. And I could not understand why God abandoned me in that moment of, you know, giving birth, actually, to another human being. So it just seemed like such a a cruel thing to me at the time. And I have to say to you, Gail, that I'm embarrassed if that thinking sounds very small. I have, I'm happy to say that I believe my thinking has evolved since then. To see the light of people suffering in such a new way it's given me such great compassion for what people can do with the human spirit and that God is much bigger than I ever would have imagined. Wow. What, the, the, <laughs> the period of darkness that you're referring to, you yes. know, what, what was the, what was that experience? Was it the, the, was it depression? Was it fear? Was it anger? Was it a combination of all of that? Is that what you're referring to as dark, being dark? You know, it wasn't really depression, like, because I think sort of my constitution, I, I feel fortunate to say this naturally, is pretty pretty happy. I think it was more that I felt this abandonment by God. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was the worst thing you could have ever for me, because that, because I always was trying to explain how I always sort of believed. And I used to feel as a little girl that God was with me, and I sort of wanted to be good um, for him. And it was just a, that was a natural thing for me. I don't know if everyone feels that way, but I did. So when I felt when this terrible thing happened and I was praying so hard for him to release me from that tragedy and my pain and my suffering, and I didn't feel his presence at that time, and he sort of didn't show up, I really thought that everything I believed in wasn't right. So I thought either case, so I thought either I had it wrong and God really wasn't there at all, and that would have been probably having to develop a whole new me, or that, you know, my concept of God and the way I thought about him or the box that I put him in, I always thought if I wrote a book I'd call it the God box, you know, the box that I fit God in was much too small. But sort of that evolution, it wasn't just, you know, my intellect able to say, of course, that's it. I had to really go through the hard process, talk to a lot of people, read so, so much. I mean, I think I read every book on suffering from making sense of suffering, when good things happen, you know, when bad things happen to good people. Every book you can think of on suffering, I feel like the nature of suffering, I read them all. And a lot of them were religiously and theologically based. Some of them more philosophical. But I was trying to understand the root how God could, you know, if I could believe in a God that would allow really horrific things. Oh, because then, you know, I was in therapy after that. Once I was in therapy for such a long time, I met people with, oh, my goodness, worse, 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 worse things. You know, they were in my situation, maybe even with no hands, and their husbands left them, and they were in a financial win. I mean, just a, their whole lives just came apart piece by piece. So the things that I saw made me question everything about the way I had constructed God. And um, I thought for a long time I just couldn't believe and I didn't know what kind of a world I would be. You know, I didn't know what kind of a person I would be. I shouldn't say world. It was really personal. I didn't know what kind of a person I would be without believing in God. It seemed like it it would be hard for me to be me. But, um, But I did come around. And I have to say I came around because my idea of God had to get much, much, much bigger and it's interesting because when Hummingbird earlier was talking a little bit about religion, I think that God is probably bigger than any one religion. I think he's um, 
I think it's unimaginable, unfathomable to us, God, and the, what what's happening here is is you know we're caught up in the minutia and the suffering. Of course we are, but there's something much bigger at play. I trust in that now more than anything. But it took a long time to get there, because of course, as every human being is, I was concerned about my life and my and my suffering and my pain and my children's pain and how it's going to affect them and that little world that I had created in my that I worked fought so hard for coming from the south side just sort of collapsed and you know I had to contend with the doctor who it happened with and I had to sort of deal with my feelings about that there was a lot it was very How impactful did you deal time with for me your feelings about that well it's interesting because of my religious beliefs I guess and because of my nature um she came to see me at my bed after the mistake had been made and she she knew she'd made a mistake and she came to apologize. But because of the nature of litigation and malpractice, it's just so unfortunate. The doctors just ushered her out immediately and she was crying at the end of my bed. And I was crying too. And what was so sad about it, Gail, was I think she really wanted to have that moment to say she was sorry and I wanted to have that moment to release her. I don't think that she's a doctor, yes. She took the Hippocratic Oath, yes. But I don't think for one second, Gail, that she intended to hurt me. It was a mistake. She was on, She had a drug problem. That's an awful thing to have to go through. I, I've been around drugs in my family growing up on the south side. I see how it can take a hold of someone's life. Um, how did you I think that, that she had a drug problem? That came out during the lawsuit, yeah. Wow. Actually, it was her mother-in-law that called up my attorney and said, I just want you to know that my daughter-in-law has been struggling with drugs. The hospital has taken her through um, rehab. But she wasn't successful, and they were still letting her practice. You know, last night my husband and I yeah. saw the movie um, Flight with Denzel Washington. I saw it too. And did you see that? You know, yes. and, and, it, it, and at some point, you know, once the you know the the person that's committed, the perpetrator who's committed the you know just the the, the life changing you know experience. Admits and acknowledges their role and their weaknesses. In this case, you know, a substance abuse. Then it's, there is a moment for not, and he says in the movie, not everyone, but for some of them, to also be able to forgive and release. And I'm sure that that's a part of what, um, you know, we hope that that doctor experiences well once she had to acknowledge, you know, her own substance abuse problems and that all life. Well, she went back um, through rehabilitation, and the lawsuit took several years to come to fruition. And um, I do think that she was extremely remorseful. Unfortunately, it still never got to a moment where she and I could have that conversation, which I think if you ever have a situation, and, and one thing I do advocate for, and I was on the Connecticut Center for Patient Safety that I think is really important when accident when when mistakes occur, you know, full disclosure and that conversation between doctor and patient, as hard as that is, is so vital for both of them to heal. I really didn't want, and I don't think most people, Gail, want the house in the Bahamas over whatever they lost in in you know being injured at a hospital. Right. I think they right. don't want money. I think they really want 
to understand what happened to them. And if you could have said, Annette, what do you want? I'd say, I want my legs back. Or I want as much therapy as the world can offer me so I can fight for my legs. I didn't want revenge. I don't think a lot of people that I've met in those situations do want those things, Gail. I think they want what they've lost. Sometimes they've lost a life. And they, um, you know, how do you reconcile that? And I think that I wanted to say to the doctor, you know, I, I do forgive her. I don't hold, I don't harbor, of course, we both know those feelings that you can harbor for other people that are negative can eat you alive first. Yes, yes. So I don't the, feel that way. So the the kinetic center for patient safety, they they promote patient safety and they promote the improvement of quality of health care and protection of the rights of the patients. How did you become involved with them? They contacted me after I was hurt because I was involved in this lawsuit. And I became, you know, um, it wasn't, it, it's a diff- not a difficult group, but like, like with these women, you know, you're hearing horrific stories of what people have gone through and their fight to get their life back or to piece it back together and then to try to make, you know, slow changes slowly. For example, one of their big things was um, even just spreading the idea of people and doctors and every single person at a hospital washing their hands more. So many infections are happening from simple sanitary um, practices that aren't being, you know, used regularly all the time by everyone, that kind of a thing. So enforcing little things, as these women even said earlier today, it can be the little things that then over time that everyone gets on the same page with that can make really big differences. And then, you know, having more mediations instead of a litigation where things can be mediated early and you're not dragged through this long, really um, a terrible process. It gets you to thinking about what it really means to have justice. Again, going back to Hummingbird this morning, talking about people being hurt and hit by a car and having no recourse to any sort of justice. I think our justice here is much better, obviously, but when I went through the process myself, I saw how deeply flawed it was. For example, um, the judge who was running our trial was not allowing the doctor's drug issues to be related to the jury. Now, why would he do that? Well, he said he made that decision because he thought it was too prejudicial against her and the jury would be persuaded from my side immediately. But to not tell that part of the story, and no one saw her do the drugs that night. So here is a person who has a drug problem that no one saw drugs being done that night and a horrible injury as a result. But, you know, he wasn't going to allow that testimony in at all. So that's really, in a way, in my opinion, not fair. I didn't want to have it prejudicial against her either, Gail, but isn't the jury then missing a big part of something that was critical, although they could have said, you know what, no one saw her do drugs that night, but she has been in and out of rehab. Well, they felt that would be so compelling that it was just going to be, boom, a slam dunk the other way, and they didn't allow that testimony in. I just was so frustrated by the process. Then I said to my attorney, I would like to speak to the judge alone. And you know you're not allowed to do that? He said, I am only allowed to speak on your behalf to the judge one-on-one. I said, no, he needs to talk to me. I am the person here who every day is crawling up and down my staircase because I can't walk. 
And he's going to, I mean, I couldn't understand how I didn't have access to the judge, how I couldn't appeal on my own behalf, how I felt the lawyers were not as passionate as I was because they see cases all the time, and I understand that. But, I mean, the system for me was broken and flawed. The same people who did my litigation, they are great attorneys, no doubt, but they sue the same hospitals year after year after year and deal with the same lawyers on the other side. They are all used to making deals, and I didn't like that either. I felt that didn't play out on my behalf either. They accepted a lot that I wanted to fight for on behalf of what I had gone through and of my family. So I think what that, you know, I think what I would do differently is, um, you know, it's so interesting that you say that. I wish I could go back to that time. You know what I would have done? The jury got picked at the very end of our trial. We went through that process as a jury. And it was an all-male jury because every woman who got up on the stand, and if they say, they questioned the jurors, and I was there for the questioning, um, the potential jurors, they would say, here's this woman. She went through this. You see her sit there. If you find out that, you know, maybe you don't think this is really the doctor's fault, would you still let her leave this courtroom and give her nothing? And every woman said, nope, I'd still give her something. I was like, hooray for women, yes. But um, I think they just looked at me and thought, you know, she's got an- I had another infant at the time. You know, she's got a, you know, a family, and she's obviously been through a lot. They would still want to try to give me something, which, the- and I do understand the lawyers didn't think that was fair. So it turned out my jury would have been really all men. And when it came time for me to testify, they offered a deal. And you know what? I took it. And I took it because I didn't have the fight left. It had gone on for years, and I just thought that the ugliness of all of it needed to end. And I didn't want to have to go up there in front of all these men and, you know, be this, I don't know. I don't. I just didn't think I could do it, and I regret that. Would you that. do it differently? You, you, that's, that's something that you would do differently? Yep. Now I would have gone, because you know what? In the end of it, the deal wasn't that good. We took it for it to be over. But it was a mistake. My husband and I both looked back, and and I think I could have found it within myself to fight a little harder for what my needs were at the time. I just said, I can't do it anymore. I can't be in this ugly battle. I don't want to go in front of these men and testify. And I think think they wore me down a little bit, Gail. And I wish now, knowing what I know of the aftermath of that whole situation, I should have found it within myself to fight on behalf of myself and my children. For me, it was a moment of fatigue. Well, you know what I would do differently and was I would have, I wouldn't have accepted the settlement. I would have gone all the way through the trial. But you would have to have found some way to regird your strength. You know, if you were fatigued and, and beat down, how would you be strengthened enough to fight a fight much longer than you did? Oh, you're saying you're saying that that would be impossible to do differently type of thing? Well, I'm not no, I I'm, I'm definitely not saying that it would be impossible, but for someone listening to this broadcast right now and to hear and that there's someone listening that's that's at that very moment in their life, you know, mm-hmm. today's the day where they have to make a decision, do I accept or am I so fatigued and beaten down by all of this? I don't want to go through any more. I don't want to have to speak in front of this male jury and have to explain the obvious 
to them because I'm basically just torn up. I'm tired. What would you say to them in order to find the stamina to go through and to persevere? Would you say go in the closet and have a talk with Jesus? Would you say go to Starbucks and get an you know four expos uh, you know and eat, you know what would you what part of you would say to them and to yourself this is what I would do differently in order to have the stamina to keep pushing forward in that moment of extreme exhaustion. That's a really excellent excellent point because I think I, that you know. It, it's it's heart wrenching. Even the the tips of the iceberg that you've shared from the, both the legal side and medical experience, it's it infuriating. You know, um, yet we live in a country that even gives you know, give us and especially women uh, at least some options. You know, <laughs> you know there are so many women that listen to this broadcast that do not have any legal ground to stand on. They have absolutely no one to advocate for them, and they may or may not have a husband who would stand by them through all of this, yet you, ha- you have all of that because one of the freedoms that we have living here in the United States. But at the same time, there are still these injustices woven into our system that can beat us down, you know, that just tear us apart. And after going through as much as you did and you look back on it and you say, you know, I wish I had done that differently, you're able to say that because now it's further behind you. You're a little bit more rested. You know, you've had a good meal, a good night's sleep and able to go back. But in that moment, in that instance where the person who's listening is not as rested and is really tired, what can they do? to have just enough, an an incremental amount of strength to just stay in the fight? You know, I think it's anger. I think it's not anger in a bad way, but it's the righteous indignation (laughs) that all of a sudden... Yes, because I should have defended myself, and I don't think that any... You're right, many people don't have access to even a good lawyer, Gail. You're absolutely right. And they, in my opinion, why I get so passionate and fired up is they get they don't even have a fighting chance to even try to you know get what is really um could make their life work again or the medical care that they need or the the money for the medical care they need or for their child. so I think I should have at that moment had a little more faith not in the system but in the human beings sitting on that jury. And I should have found it within myself to even beyond the lawyers who did not protect me or, or, or defend me to the degree that I wanted to be defended myself. I could have even not defied them, but their whole thing was at the end pushing me toward the deal. And as I said, I got, I, I got worn down. And I think if I had gotten a little angry and a little bit like, you know what, wait a minute here. I don't have to be mad at the doctor, but I did lose my legs, and I do want therapy, and I do want a chance to get better, and I'm going to fight for that even if I feel exhausted. I'm not sure that it would have been God. I was praying the entire time through that process. I was praying to be kind 
and to not be embittered. But I was I needed to get a little angry and I'll feel a little bit of righteous indignation because at times it's okay to be angry and let that get you fired up. I think I needed to find that within myself. I found it for my therapy. I needed to find it right at the end of the trial. I needed just to pull down deep and say, you know what, gosh darn it, this was not right, and I'm going to stand up for myself. Mm. Mm. I mean, maybe that's the wrong thing, Gail. I'm just telling you. I don't you, know if it's right or wrong. No, I think that some, we're so quick, um, especially as Christian women, we're so quick to categorize things as either good or bad, you know, right or wrong. And sometimes yeah. there, it, it just is what it is. You know, when I, I recently um, attended the funeral service, memorial service, a Buddhist service actually, for a friend of mine's mother. And one of the things that was shared, and it was so true, um, and it honored her, their mom in such a wonderful way, one of the statements that was shared at was about how her, they had never seen her mother become angry. You know, never seen her. She always had something good to say about everyone. And it's such an admirable, you know, characteristic. It's such a, uh, in something that, especially for, you know, for anything for me of us, we aspire to be. So I, I left that service finding those words hanging around me for another three or four days, you know, like, gee, you know, am I like that? You know, I want to be like that. And then it became, I'm not sure I I should be like that. So it's so good because I, what I ended up landing on was that at least my life, there are moments when injustice is just simply not acceptable. It's just not going to be tolerated. And it's got to speak up. And uh, that word, that phrase you use, that righteous indignation. You know, some people may call it, you know, anger. You know, some we, what I don't want it to be is what you described, I, too. You know, I don't want to be bitter. But at the same time, any significant change that's ever occurred at any level has resulted from someone saying enough is enough. And having a zero tolerance for injustice beyond that moment, that situation. And so I may not have, you know, be memorialized that my services never <laughs> because I think that we have to have the fortitude to stand up in moments for what's right. And whether it's understood or not understood or it's interpreted as anger, you know, that that's up to them. But it, within my own rationale for my action to do what's right and to stand up for what's right, we've got to speak up. You know, we have to fight that fight, and when we get tired, it's absolutely exhausted from fighting. You know, that's what, you know, I'm hanging on to every word that you're saying, Annette. It's like, okay, so what do you do? You know, do what I do is I've got to step back. You know, I just, 
you know, I have to go take a walk on the beach. I have to go sit in the garden. I have to go have a talk with Jesus. <laughs> I have to go to sleep. You know, I have to go read a book. I have to just turn it off for a while and let it settle. And then I find clarity and renewed strength to to either walk away or to compromise or to identify in this moment, this situation, you know, I got to keep fighting. You know, Gail, I think you really nailed it for me even better than I was able to articulate because I think that I shouldn't have forced and there wasn't a need to have a forced and quick decision. That was in the best interest of my lawyers, but I should have stepped back. And had I done that and not felt like I need to decide, I need to decide right now in this moment. Right, right. um, I didn't really need to. And I don't think that I really had the savvy to know that until looking back and talking to other people who'd been through these types of lawsuits. But I could have sat back with my husband and said, you know what, we need a minute here, like you said, to take that walk, to be more prayerful, to look at each other and really decide. We just, boom, we just made this very quick, abrupt decision because we felt pressured. And... That was that's really such an excellent point, what you're saying. And you know what? Fortitude is a virtue. It's a virtue that I I need more of. I need more of all of them and but I think fortitude I think some people think or I think I thought as a woman, you know, I, I do pray for things like humility. I think it's a lovely quality, something I want to have and I used to think humility sort of meant meekness. But right. it doesn't. Humil- humility means knowing your place with God, knowing mm. who you are with Him, mm. and honoring Him and having that proper relationship. It's not like being a doormat for everybody. So I think there's a way to, you know, have fortitude, have strength as a woman. I think your idea of stepping back and not feeling pressured or rushed to a decision because, like, what, I'm not going to get anything then? I was already in the work. I already had nothing. I mean, there was no deal on the table. I didn't need to be forced and pressured. That's why it's so hard if you don't have lawyers who who you think are really, really advocating for you in the way. And our head lawyer, who was truly our advocate, died during the process. He had a massive heart attack. What? uh, Yeah, he did. It's true. He was on the ski slopes. He was fine, but he was, and I guess he had a great, I mean, if that's the way to go out, he was, you know, he was skiing and boom, he was, he was, he died. Because the process was six years. So during that time, um, he passed away. And I feel he was the man who was advocating. So I think what you can see is how complicated people's situations become, how certain things play into it that are unexpected, and then can change the course of what I believe that if he had survived, he would have been the one to advise us and say, you know what, Annette and Bill, you take all the time you need to sit on this one. Yeah. You know, he was – so I think that it's interesting. And so when people say to me how their situations become complex and then sometimes the best decisions aren't made or their situations become complex, I understand. And I understand how a myriad of things – if anything, if more than any one thing I resent what happened to me, even though I miss walking every day and I think about it and I wish I could walk with my husband and I see a couple taking a walk and I have that place in my heart where it just feels there's pain there. What was more upsetting to me is the chaos that ensued in my life and this sort of feeling of 
um, we couldn't get a hold of anything. And then the cascade of events that followed that also affected, it ended up not just being my legs, as if that were not enough. So I hear people's situations and stories now, and I heard them at the Connecticut Center for Patient Safety, and you think like, well, one thing happens, but then it's over. But then everything in your life is so connected to, as you know, to money to and the children. And there is an aftermath of other things that happen, other people that are hurt and people's feelings and the sensitive issues. that, And it becomes, that makes me more upset than just, oh, I can't walk now. Yep, that really sucks. <laughs> I miss walking. But... Lordy, when I think about my girls, and there probably is going to be good things that come from them, Gail, but for for them in this, I trust in that. But so many hurdles and battles we've faced as a family and just to stay together, and for Bill and I. Um, but the most amazing part of my whole life, the most amazing, has been my married life. It is, It is just, I can't even, it's astonishing to me that I fell in love with someone who really, when I think about it now, I didn't know him that well. And he is, wow, I don't even know how to describe him. But he is, yes, he's a complex person. He's not a perfect person. So when people say that, they think you married this perfect person. Absolutely not. But I've learned to love someone completely. And what a gift it is to do that. Wow, what a gift it is. So, Annette, we're looking forward to having you um multiple times on Sylvia Global, um, hosting and co-hosting shows with us around the world. Uh, any any closing words of advice for listeners and in general? You've, you We didn't even, you know, we could have spent more time talking about your orphanage and, you know, your father, your adopted family life, but there's so much more to you than that, um, than those experiences you know, that we'll look forward to having you back. But any closing words? You know, I would just say to people that are listening that although certain sayings I think are trite, like never give up, I think the saying for me that is the most true is that I don't think that God ever walks away from us. We just have to hold on to him. I, I think that's where I may, that's also where I might have, when I lost my way, I felt God abandoned me, and he and I know now in looking back that he didn't, but I just wish I'd hold, held on to him a little bit. You know, my faith wasn't steely enough. It's become more steely over time. But, um, no, I just I think that that would be it. I think that love is still a more powerful force than any evil that can befall us and that the human spirit knows no limitations. Mm. That's, I really believe that. I believe it, too. Thank you so much, Annette Ross. For, You're welcome. For being Thank you here. for having what me. What a wonderful way for to start today, Annette <laughs> Ross, here at SylviaGlobal.com. Have a wonderful, just a spectacular day, and we'll look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you so much. You too, Gail. You've been listening to Sylvia Global with your host, Gail Sylvia. Become a subscriber to Sylvia Global for unique listener opportunities. Follow on Twitter and like them on Facebook. For more information, go to www.sylviaglobal.com. That's Sylvia, S-Y-L-V-I-A, global, G-L-O-B-A-L, dot com. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.